This is Amanda. And this is Rachel. And this is Vocal Perspective. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Vocal Perspective. We're back after a short holiday break, and we've got a great guest for you today, Lisa Forkish. We could name all of her accomplishments, but they are very long, so we'd rather just talk to her about what she's done and what she's going to do. But Lisa is an inspiration for a lot of the women in acapella, and she has been a champion for a lot of the underrepresented communities in the acapella circles. So hi, Lisa. How are you? I'm great. Thanks so much for having me, Amanda and Rachel. Of course. No problem. How could we do a podcast about women and not have Lisa Forkish on it. Preach. <laughs> yes, so happy to be here. I'd love to start with having you share a little bit about your initial steps into acapella and how you got on started on this journey. By accident, actually. Totally by accident. I was sitting in the lobby of the University of Oregon School of Music. I was a junior in high school and I was waiting for my boyfriend who was auditioning for On the Rocks, the Oregon group another organ group and he was in his audition and this woman that I was in a summer high school choral program with a couple years before or like the summer before she came walking through the lobby and she was like oh Lisa hey you auditioning for Devisi and I'm like what's Devisi and she's like it's this all women's acapella group at the U of O and I'm like I'm still in high school. (laughs) I'm about to be a senior because she had graduated and was going to the UVO. And she was like, I don't know. Maybe that's not a big deal. Why don't you just go? They're having auditions in this room. And so I went and knocked on the door and Evan Hollins was in there along with Haley and Julie, who are two other founding members of DVC. And they were like, hey. And I was like, hey, I didn't prepare anything. So I sang the national anthem. And they were like, ooh, you can sing low. We need some basses. How do you feel about taking a class at the UVO? And we could just like call it good. (laughs) say that you're a college student. So my senior year of high school, I sang with the VC and I took a yoga class on campus and and applied for Berklee College of Music, intended to go there to do songwriting and and yeah, deferred admission because I just like totally caught the bug and was like, this is amazing. And actually the end of my senior year of high school, they elected me to be their music director. I was like, that's a cool opportunity. (laughs) So yeah, so it was by accident. And then I thought I left it behind when I went to Berkeley four years later. (laughs) I stayed at U of O for longer than I expected. I nearly completed a women's and gender studies degree and then decided I was ready to go pursue my singer songwriter stuff, which is what I had originally intended to do after high school and the pitch slapped was on campus at the time they were a brand new group at Berkeley and I was like no done with that so I didn't audition didn't sing in any acapella groups got my degree moved to the Bay Area got a job teaching choir at Oakland School for the Arts and was like you know what this school could use an acapella group <laughs> and then I <laughs> and then I found it vocal rush and then <laughs> and now I'm like all back up in it in a way that I you know it's like paying my my living so I'm really really grateful <laughs> and I think you I think sort of glossed over like a really important to me anyway like a notable thing that happened to you as part of being part of Divisi which was you were one of the first all-female groups to sort of go go the distance in ICCA and make it all the way to finals and sort of like reach that pinnacle right like I feel like there weren't very many all-women groups and that certainly not that made it to that level so that was I feel like a huge accomplishment for you it was it was a it was a really big deal of the time and a, a lot of folks have probably heard the story and if you've read the book Pitch Perfect know know this but it was also a big deal when we went to finals not just being I, I don't think we were the first group to make it to finals I think the golden overtones went oh that was like very a couple early. years before yeah. yeah really early but we were I think we were the second group after them um I'm pretty 
sure. I should check my facts on that. But you're right. One of the first groups. Um, but what was also pretty notable is there were six, <laughs> which is hilarious now. There were six competing groups at ICCA finals. Now they're like 20, not 20, but like 11 usually. This was back when there were only six regions. And all the other groups were all male. So it was five all male groups and VC. So we were literally a co-ed acapella like is now more the norm. And we're getting away from gendered acapella overall, which is wonderful. Um, but at the time, acapella was like way more gendered on college campuses and you didn't see a lot of mixed groups. And so it was us and a bunch of guys. And so it was kind of a, it was kind of an even bigger deal. Like I remember really feeling my minority-ness within that evening and that event. I want to fast forward a bit because like that, that leads me to ask you about Vocal Rush and like you're you switch teams in some ways from collegiate acapella to high school acapella what was that transition like for you uh, obviously not as a singer but you know as a director yeah and what was that transition like you know it was kind of like effortless in a way I I felt like I learned a lot about the acapella world from the time I was in college but of course it, it changed a lot and then my my experience at Berkeley you know definitely showed shaped me a lot as a musician and artist and impacted the way that I that I came in as a teacher. So yeah, I felt like uh, having had the di- experience directing Devisi was kind of a big deal. And I think my experience arranging acapella and having directed acapella was a part of why I got the job at OSA. I don't have an ed degree. My music degree is in professional music with an emphasis in performance and songwriting from Berkeley. And, and I didn't have a credential. And the only way I was able to get this job at OSA is it's an art school and they were hiring teaching artists, not music educators. And I, I brought in a Stevie Wonder arrangement that I had done to my job interview, you know, and I think that my arranging skills and that directing experience with a small ensemble, even though I was getting hired to direct a, a large choir, I think that was a big part of why I got the job. So I felt like I came in, yeah, just with a different perspective and a different ready with a different approach. It's interesting to hear that you are you're there as a teaching artist is that that's how you came on because I also am a teaching artist. And the kids and the full-time staff always always said to us, like, the kids react differently to you when you're a teaching artist. It's like they can smell the real world on you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's so true. It's really true. And I think that they appreciate that about me. Like, they see me gigging and they see me putting out my own music. And yeah, I think I think that makes a difference. Well, I mean, clearly, there's you're doing something right. I mean, every time your kids compete, they do well, if not get all the way to the end and win. Um, so I'm sure that there are directors out there that want to know all of your secrets, which I'm sure you could write a whole book. Or 12. <laughs> I'm thinking about it, actually. I Yeah, I, I have plans of, of writing a book. It's like, I have no idea when I'll have time to do that. But it's definitely, it's, <laughs> in, it's in the works. In your spare time, Lisa. <laughs> in my spare time. Well, and some of that spare yeah. time is taken up by your own performances, both acapella and non-acapella performances. Like, can you talk a little bit about sort of your own personal journey into performing in music? Uh, yeah, well, I it started as a young kid. I, I played violin as a really little kid. And then I started singing maybe when I was 10 or 11, got really into the female singer songwriter movement of the 90s. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was like, that was my thing. And I got really inspired and started writing songs when I was 11. And I taught myself how to play piano so that I had an instrument to write on and performed a little bit in high school, you know, just 
first like high school type performances and then in college uh, got a band together and started performing my own music with like a full rhythm section and and it's it's grown over the years I mean I, I guess I've kind of always been a songwriter you know from the time I'm 11 it's like as long as I've been like a person <laughs> <laughs> songwriting has been a, a huge part of my identity um, as a human and an artist and and I've taken you know little breaks from it where it's not calling to me in the same way and then it'll have a little resurgence a couple of years ago actually it 2018 in January I was really ready to write a lot more music and I set an intention to put out a new original song every month on Patreon and I'd been on Patreon um, for a couple of years but kind of putting out stuff sporadically and that really got me into a good flow and rhythm as a songwriter and getting back into it a big project for me was my Love Warrior album which was combining my my singing and my songwriting with my acapella arranging that I have developed and really honed in on over the years arranging for Vocal Rush but also my groups the Riveters which is no longer around but I arranged for a number of years a group that I sang in and and then also Hive and and I'm doing a ton of arrangement commissions now but it you know it's sort of like this little side project that I have as a professional arranger and it was cool to marry that with my songwriting and and also kind of an exercise in in self-love the whole album is a lot about self-love because I had a vocal cord injury in 2014 from a car accident and couldn't sing for about a year and a half and so that project was also like writing music to to heal myself and to get back into a state of um, love and acceptance of this new instrument it was like I could get vocal cord surgery or I could accept that my instrument had changed and grow to love it and so the exercise of recording myself in like six to twelve part harmony and listening back and putting it out for all the world to hear was was really big so I would say, yeah, the page, the Patreon and the Love Warrior album, both of those really like threw me back into um, my identity as a, a solo artist and, and singer songwriter after taking a few year break. When I started teaching at OSA, my life became OSA. I was like vocal rushes going to be everything that I do. And I was also full time teaching. So I was teaching music theory and middle school choir and uh, solo repertoire, just, you know, teaching full time. And then I started assistant chairing the department and producing all the shows and you know so it was like my life and I was like oh wait I think when I was 11 I had a dream of being a performing songwriter what about that <laughs> so, <laughs> let's go back uh, to that <laughs> let's go back just rewind and and now um, I've been like little by little stepping away from Oakland School for the Arts where I've taught now for nine years and it's been incredible and this is my last year at the school so this will be my last year directing Vocal Rush which is oh. feels really epic like just a really probably the one of the biggest life transitions I've experienced so far and um, I'm sure and we've got six more months but yeah so I'm on the hunt for a replacement director to kind of carry carry on past the torch and then I'm going to be fully self-employed and that's when I I'm really for real for real going to get back into this dream of being a performing songwriter because I've been putting out music but I haven't been doing a lot of performing because my schedule is just too busy like I do a show I do maybe like three or four shows a year and I'd like to do a lot more so that was a really long long answer to your question but uh, <laughs> those are the best but kind yeah, of that's, answers that's, 
It's like that's like from the time I was 11 until now, <laughs> the, the journey. Yeah. I, I wanted to sort of also ask about, you know, as Amanda said in the introduction, you know, you've been such a champion for different parts of the community who maybe are underrepresented in our space. And I wonder if you could talk a little bit about sort of where that drive came from and how you continue to move forward and focus on those those underserved communities. You know, I think the years that I was at U of O, both being in DVC and it being and all female identified acapella groups being not only like very few and far between, but also really marginalized in a lot of stereotypes about the groups, like just uh, expectations. And we we would go on like little tours and we'd experience a lot of discrimination, frankly. Sure. Um, so w- that experience combined with me being an angsty late teen, early 20-something, combined with studying the intersection of race and class and gender in my program at U of O really instilled in me a pretty deep sense of my role in the world and work that I want to do in this lifetime as a woman and as a white woman, you know, as a white person with a great amount of privilege, but also having experienced um, my own share of, of discrimination being a woman, I just have always kind of felt a call toward that. And when I went to Berkeley, I did a lot of social activism on campus um, that was music related, but not like through the music. It Like I put on events, like I took, I coordinated a Take Back the Night rally. I'm not sure if folks, I don't know if I'm sure Take Back the Night rallies are still um, happening, but it's a, a rally to end sexual violence and happens at night, you know, with the intention of, yeah, Take Back the Night. It's in the name. Yeah. So I I coordinated that with the city of Boston. That was like one of the things I was most proud of in my last year at Berkeley. So there were things that were like really, oh, and I founded Musicians Against Sexual Violence, which was a student student run organization at Berkeley and was involved in the Office for Cultural Diversity, putting on events to talk about race and class and gender and uh, sexual orientation and all these things that impact us as artists because we're human and they're part of being human, but that we are often not talking about um, the way that they interweave uh, with our art making and expression and community building within our little art scenes. So it was a little less like through the music, but it was it was part of that. And then WACA, the Women's Acapella Association, was born out of a vision that Evan Hollins and I had had back when we were in Davisi that was an idea to create a festival that was celebrating women in acapella and not just women performers, um, women-identified performers, but also educators and producers and directors and arrangers, all of the above. And then we ended up deciding to create a nonprofit to house that festival and our programming expanded over the years and our mission statement expanded to include all marginalized voices within the community and not just women. And so I, I think that came, the, all of that came out of my my years in college <laughs> and just like, yeah, having, having a sense of this greater world, like music was important, but music and what, you know, what are, what are we here for? How are we, we relating to one another? Um, what are we saying when we get on stage? What are we saying when we're not on stage to one another and about one another? Yeah. So I, I think it's always been important to me, I guess. Well, and with your own groups and with OSA, I think we've seen a lot more genuine sets come out of under your leadership. And I know a lot of groups now want to make some kind of statement when they get on stage, but oftentimes it comes across as really forced. 
What's kind of the process that you go through when you're putting together a performance piece that is intended to send a message? Well, I think the first thing that's that's really crucial is it has to be a story that your group can authentically tell. So while it would be, it's a nice idea for an all white group or mostly white group to sing a freedom song, it's not the right idea, you know, because it's not a story. Our, I'll speak for myself, my ancestors, immigrants from Europe and Europe, Europe and Europe, um, (laughs) they, uh, they, we don't have that story to tell. That's not our story of being enslaved for hundreds of years in this country. And Mm so it's not going to be authentic immediately. That's going to feel contrived. So first is knowing like, can your singers tell the story authentically? Is it their story to tell? Mm. And then the second thing is to make sure that your singers, like if you're a director and you're not going to be on stage with the singers, it's so important to make sure that the singers believe in this. Like if it's a cause that you're singing about, um, for example, I'm working with Forte this year and they're singing a song about gun violence. And it's really important to these kids because in part, I mean, because it's important to them and I've, and I've spoken to them about it, but also because they uh, experienced a shooting in Dayton, um, right yeah. near where mm-hmm. they are. And so it's close to home. So to impose a political or, or social message on your students as a director, or even if it, you're a collegiate group and it's peer directed, you know, for it not to be unanimously, everyone is in on this and saying, yes, we believe in this. We want to get in st- on stage and share this with the audience. And then the third thing is just making sure that you talk it through. I'm sort of shocked at the the number of times I work with groups that are singing a song. And maybe it's just like a, a song that's pretty obvious. It's a love song. It's a pop song. It doesn't have a lot of depth. But sometimes songs that have like really complex or politically charged lyrics that the students have never talked about. Yeah. And so the, you're going to get on stage and, and that's also going to feel maybe not contrived, but just clunky. I don't know. I, I'm yeah. not sure. I'm not sure how groups got to get on stage and, and perform without talking about, I mean, maybe a small group. Like with Hive, we don't sit down and have long discussions about what our songs are about because we're all grown folk and we <laughs> know what they're about and we're professional performers and we we trust each other to to communicate with the audience when we get on stage. But when you're a teenager, you know, if you're directing a group of teenagers, you can bet that not all 16 of them are going to maybe share the same beliefs or have the same even understanding or empathy for a particular story that's being told. So I spend a lot of time talking in my class and people might be surprised like, wait, where's all the singing? We, I promise we do a lot of singing too, but <laughs> we have a lot of group discussions and it's not me talking at them. It's me facilitating them talking to one another, which is also a big difference. I think it's easy. It's definitely easy as a director and I've, I've been there. I've done this as a director where I just kind of talk to the kids. This song is about this and we need to stand up for this and everybody I want to make sure we're all on the same page but you're just kind of telling them that and for them to actually get that buy-in they have they you have to hear their voices and they have to hear their own thoughts about it as they as they process especially you know challenging um controversial even messaging yeah I think too as you have the the directive to voice your thoughts it helps you to solidify your thoughts and that's I'm ho- I think maybe part of the process, like an important part of the process is not only like 
I don't know, giving voice to what you think about something in a way that other people can understand. I think that's that's really important. Yeah. And I, I I always see that my students grow closer through those conversations because they they hear different perspectives. They de- develop a lot of empathy for each other. They maybe learn things about each other that they that they didn't know. It can be really great tr- uh, trust building among your singers that then influences the music. When you go on stage, you have these personal reference points where you're not on stage thinking about, okay, the song is about gun violence. Okay, ready? No, end gun violence. You know, you might have be thinking about a particular story that one of your peers shared and you, you lock eyes with them in the middle of the performance. And there's there's so much more depth to that kind of performance than if it's just surf, surface level kind of blanket overview. This song is about this. Okay, ready? Go on stage and emote this. <laughs> <laughs> no, I love that. I love that. Like, Nuance. That's really great. Well, so we hovered around Hive. We buzzed around Hive. Um, But I feel like we didn't actually um, talk too much about it. So can you talk a little bit about your the, the group and sort of where what you guys are up to and what its status is now? Yeah. Hive. I love Hive. Hive is Hive is like like uh, something that I think has been for me and I think everyone in the group but I'll just speak for myself like brewing inside of me for many years before it actually happened like, it was like oh yeah this is the thing no so, it shows because of all the years <laughs> I've known you Lisa like this is where I I see you like the most at home on stage is when I've seen you with Hive oh thanks for saying that Amanda yeah that feels very true I feel at home on stage and it feels like just artistically the the project that I've been wanting to be a part of yeah Hive we are our next thing we had like a busy gigging fall doing a bunch of well not a bunch I guess we did two acapella festivals and then um, a retreat in September um, learning a bunch of new original music we were at Haunted Harmonies in October and at Sing Texas in November and taking December off and then on the first of January literally the first we gather together in Sonoma California for another retreat our first year our first of 2020 that's going to be a recording retreat and we're recording an original album and I'm so excited for it and I'm really excited for the world to hear these songs Uh, some some of them we've performed but some of them have never been never been performed just yet Um, so that's a really really exciting thing that's coming up for us and then and then we'll be at Voices in Harmony in March we'll be at Laugh in February and then we're planning a an organ tour um, for the summer where we're booked for a spot at the Oregon Country Fair, which is going to be super, super, which sounds like not what it is. It sounds like a country music festival. It's actually like a hippie, hippie, Eugene hippie festival in the woods that I've been going to since I was a kid. I sing in an all girl circus um, <laughs> through high school and college. And yeah, so a lot of cool stuff for just performing. We have really, really big visions that I don't even want to speak aloud. They're kind of like sacred at this point that we're just conjuring stuff among amongst the four of us but um yeah we have we got big plans hive (laughs) awesome well if you want to sort of mentally project those ideas this way we'd be happy to try and receive them yes yeah here i go here i go just feel feel our big vision it's coming in oh my god that's gonna be so amazing yes rachel you know it you know it it's gonna be good yeah hive hive is really really big for me and there was a number of years that 
I was just directing. It's just really important to me to have my own performing outlet. So like I said, I'm going to get back into uh, more regular performing as a solo artist. But I love singing with other folks and singing in, in harmony. And it's really, really special work to facilitate that and then step back and, and watch my students get on stage. But it's also very, very important to me to get to do that myself. It's awesome. Awesome. So what's – you don't have to spill anything about what? about Hive, but you've got a lot of transitions coming up now. So what can we expect from Lisa Forkish in 2020, 2021? So I've been directing Vocal Rush for nine years. And the work that I do with the group, I think some of the things that I do are really unique. Um, One of them is that I do a ton of um, team and trust building, um, just like fostering, helping helping them foster connection and um, a sense of belonging. And like I said, it's not about the music, but I, I find that that really hugely influences the music. And I think Vocal Rush is a testament to that, given that they're musically really strong and, and connected on stage. And, um, and then more recently, I just completed Rhiannon's uh, year-long advanced improvisation, vocal improvisation course all the way in, and um, have just done this deep dive into this vocal improvisation work that's so different from what I studied in college, that just like the jazz improv that's like there's a right and a wrong and it's about scatting and it's about acrobatics this is like it's like soul singing it's singing the music Rhiannon says sing the music that is already in the air it's like this really powerful exercise in trusting and surrendering to your own musicianship and also your own spiritual musical being that has ideas that don't don't need to be crafted in like a meticulous music hat on type of way Um, and I recently brought my students in Volk Resh to Hawaii to study with her on her farm so we did a seven-day intensive and safe to say all of their lives were changed many of them said it was like the best week of their lives and um, they were connecting to the earth and connecting to themselves and their bodies and their instrument and their um, and their their music and so those two things feel like a really unique skill set and I'm combining them a lot which is really cool a lot of the improvised harmony singing is also trust and connection building as it happens um, because it requires a lot of vulnerability and and courage and really like looking in each other's eyes and listening deep listening different than when you have a set piece of repertoire so 2020. Um, I've already begun doing this with a couple of groups and I'm really grateful to the directors who are believing in me as a guest artist to bring to their school. But um, my, not but, and, um, more of that, please. More <laughs> of that, please. So my, um, my, my plan is now to shift away from being a group's full-time director to being a freelance coach and retreat team building improv facilitator space holder person that will come into schools and work for a day long workshop or a weekend workshop or more time if you want me there so I'm I'm really um, fortunate to have connected with a number of high school directors over the years and a lot of them bringing me into their schools but I love this and I I have I'm realizing I'm I'm good at it which is um, cool to say and also I just want to like sidebar as a woman and having run these uh, women's centered um, events for a number of years I know it can be 
hard and even like stigmatized for women to say I'm good at something. Oh yeah. Um, it's a little more socially acceptable for men to claim those kinds of statements. And so I'm just going to say I'm really good at this. And and I can learn a group of like 18 or 20 kids names in one go. And I can spend even as few as two hours with a group of teens or college students and and work some magic. I know this about myself. And it's really deeply rewarding and fulfilling for me in a way that's kind of different than directing Vocal Resh. Not better, but just different. Like it feels really powerful to step into a group of kids I've not met before and like see them and hear them and then like let them fly free with their director and step out of the space. And so I, that's how I'm, that's how I'm going to be moving forward with my career, at least from the education perspective. And then, you know, continuing to doing, to do my arrangements. And like I said, a lot more performing. I've gotten into the loop pedal. I've been like looping my face off. And I did my first full live looping gig last summer and it was so much fun and so great. And I've started doing some improvised live looping too, which is scary as but it's really really good bleep so yeah that just a nice little healthy balance of performing and teaching and and travel and spending time in nature and with myself and with my beloveds and just trying to live a balanced life yeah well it sounds like we get to share everyone gets to share in more lisa love now totally i am so much more available (laughs) yeah but but this sounds to me like such a perfect combination of things for you and I'm so glad that this is the direction that you're heading it sounds like it's going to be just so wonderful yeah it feels very aligned I I feel like sad about leaving OSA and leaving this like period of my life but but not sad you know it's more like bittersweet I'm like that served its purpose I learned so much for it I'm grateful and I'm and I'm ready for the next thing well I can't think of a better way to wrap up our time (laughs) that's such a good note to finish up this discussion thank you so much to Lisa Forgish for your time today and for sharing so many of your amazing insights and just what's coming up next with you and we will look forward with bated breath to all the things that are coming from you thank you so much Rachel sure thank you for having me. 